All right, hello everyone. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Whatever time it is, I hope you're doing well. My name is Paul and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Playbook. Uh, this is gonna be a solo episode this week. If you are watching the video, you can probably tell and I probably didn't even need to say that, but I did anyway. I hope you're all doing well. I am currently quarantining at the house, hence the solo episode. So I'm in my home office today, as we did with the uh, first two solo episodes. I think it was two that I did. Um, we are going to just run through some real estate news and some things that I actually pulled from FloridaRealtors.org. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the website, FloridaRealtors.org, it's a great resource um, for somebody personally who, as you know, if you watch the show, struggles to keep up with the world of real estate and all the associated news. I find that they are great at staying on top of things. Um, specifically for Florida-related things, uh, which is uh, some of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but they do have some just general advice, news, etc. that can impact you no matter where you are, or who you are for that matter. Um, there's great stuff on there for agents, as well as just the average Joe. Shout out to Joe Cicero. Um, so we're just going to jump right in here. This is episode 46, I want to say. We are creeping up on 50, and we got some good guests planned for you. So do stay tuned, and um, I hope you enjoy this one. So like I said, well, I didn't say, but uh, we are going to be starting off with some Florida-oriented things here for all of my Sunshine State friends. So the first thing that impacts you, no matter where you are in the state, um, are the new Florida real estate laws. So those were just announced, well, they might have been announced prior to this and probably were, but they actually went into effect on July 1st. So these are already in effect. I'm sure some of you may have heard about some of these things, are already putting these things into practice. Um, there's a whole laundry list of different things that DeSantis signed into effect. I'm gonna cover two of them today. If you wanna see the full list, go ahead and head over to floridarealtors.org to check that out. So the first one, the big one that has actually come up on the show once or twice already, and I'm sure many of you have heard of, is the Hometown Heroes Bill. I suppose that's how you would qualify that. Um, if you don't already know, and this is actually good uh, information even if you are not a realtor, uh, the Hometown Heroes Bill actually provides or was funded with $100 million, so a good chunk of change there. Now what this is, um, is a government program that is going to help cover upfront costs associated with buying a home for a specific class of people that they're dubbing the hometown heroes. So those are the people uh, that, uh, well, make our communities better. Uh, specifically, firefighters, law enforcement, nurses, educators. The list goes on. There are a couple different um, career paths that are covered under this. If you want more details, I would recommend looking into that further. But those are the big ones. Um, especially excited myself uh, for the educators being included there. As we know, they are criminally underpaid, um, and this will be great to help them out. So what it does, like I said, it covers some of the upfront costs associated with buying a home. But the more interesting side of it is that it provides uh, zero interest loans for the hometown heroes. So the quote that I pulled from the article says that the loan is repaid once the home is sold, rented, or refinanced creating a continuous cycle of homeownership for some of Florida's essential workers. So I think this is great. I think it's um, awesome to see that the 
government, big brother, if you will, Uncle Sam, is uh, sticking their neck out to help um, some of these people that, like I said, help make our communities better, make it a little bit easier for them to buy a home, um, and just uh, create a cycle of home ownership, as I said. Um, so I think that's great. Uh, if you want to learn more and you yourself are not a real estate agent, I would recommend, of course, contacting a real estate agent, as we always say on here. They're going to have the most information for you and be able to provide you with information directly pertaining to you yourself and how you can actually implement uh, this new bill in your life. So moving on, the other thing that was signed into law is something called uh, home hardening, the home hardening bill, which is fun to say, first of all, but more importantly, what this does is provides tax relief for homeowners who actually reinforce their home against storms. As you know, if you live in Florida, even if you don't, we uh, are actually, I believe, going into hurricane season right now. Luckily, it is quite sunny outside, but that could change at any moment. As we know, these storms, they come and go. If you live here, you probably don't think too much about it unless you get a big one coming through or you live seaside. But um, the way I interpret this, at least, um, which I think this is great, they're providing tax relief for these people who are installing things like hurricane shutters. That's the only example I can think of, but I'm sure there are others. Um, basically to incentivize um, reinforcing these homes long term. So if you think about it, you know, you drive down the average street, seaside or not, not many homes are reinforced um, for these storms. So I think that the government is perhaps thinking long term. Uh, and trying to get more people to uh, create basically a world or a state rather where most of the homes or many of the homes are going to be protected against these storms that are not going away anytime soon as we know. So again, more uh, for more on that, I would visit floridarealtors.org and, and or, or rather you should ask your local realtor and they will be able to provide you with more information. Uh, so moving on here, more Florida-specific news. Uh, to nobody's shock, Florida continues to grow. However, the rate of growth, um, what it was projected to be, has actually come back a little bit lower. So Florida continues to see population increases, as we know, from those out-of-state transplants, uh, people looking to live in the sunshine. Um, so Actually, we're adding about the population size of a city like Orlando every single year. What that means or what that breaks down to is about 808 people per day. I don't know 808 people, so as you can imagine, uh, that is a lot of people. Um, now, when I, when I said that uh, the projected increase is actually down a little bit, what I mean by that is that the uh, actually don't exactly have the organization that predicted this. But they did project that it was going to be a 1.41% increase over the next five years. They've adjusted that to come down a little bit to 1.29%. And that's not just for um, those out-of-state transplants, like I was saying. That's actually just for population growth in general. So the reason that that number went down is actually because, um, unfortunately, deaths in the state are outpacing births in the state, um, as well as those transplants. So they're just not a huge increase in that number or decrease rather in that number that they projected, but it is still decreased a little bit. However, as we know, even though 1.29% sounds like a small amount, that is quite a large number of people, like I said, about the size of Orlando each year. So um, 
uh, a lot of people are coming, uh, as we know. So what does that mean for you? Well, um, competition may increase or continue to increase or stay the same. I am not the one to make the final call on that, obviously. However, uh, it's definitely something to stay aware of. Those uh, transplants, like we know, they are not slowing down anytime soon. Um, so yeah, just keep that in mind if you are a real estate agent and or just a Florida citizen. Um, in related news, this is a separate article, but it kind of ties into what I was just talking about there. If you've heard the term digital nomad, um, maybe you already know what that is. Maybe you don't. When I think of that, I think of like a sci-fi movie for some reason. Um, but, but really what it means is just remote workers um, who are impacted by COVID. So as we know, it's, it's tried and true or, or played out, I should say. It's a broken record sort of thing where I don't need to tell you. I'm sure you know. A lot of people are working from home these days. Um, I think a lot of companies realize that people can do their work remotely. Obviously, I'm in my home office right now. Um, so basically what that means is people are no longer tethered to physical office locations. Um, and for people who have been approved to work entirely remote, um, if you're like me, you're probably sick of sitting in your house when you are working remote. Um, so you might actually be looking for a permanent or a semi-permanent location to be doing your work. So whether you're moving to another state um, to live there permanently, or you're just looking for a sort of long-term stay, whether it be, you know, you just like the weather of the place or the culture, or you have family there, whatever it might be, people are moving en masse, what they call these digital nomads, to find that new working location. So the reason I bring this up is because Big surprise, Florida is one of those highly sought after destinations for the so-called digital nomads. And in fact, I have a list of rankings here, specifically with cities to tell you the top five locations that people are seeking uh, when they are searching for these long-term stays. So coming in at number one, sadly not Florida, although with the population increase, I can't say I'm super sad about it. Uh, that is La Quinta, California. So you're actually gonna see as we go through this list, uh, it's really just two states that come in in the top five, and that is California and Florida. If I had to guess, I would attribute that attribute that rather to obviously the sunshine, the culture, the people, so on and so forth. Coming in at number two, we have uh, Delray Beach, Florida, and number three, Marco Island, Florida. So those are the two spots where Florida ranks on the top five, and they do round out the list at number four and five with Palm Springs, California, and Indio, California. So realtors, be on the lookout for remote workers who are looking for either long-term stays or permanent stays to uh, come to Florida. So keep an eye out for that. I'm sure these people are going to have different wants and needs in the places that they're looking for versus just your average Joe. And speaking of me being at home and working, I have a little guest for you. I know I said it was a solo episode, but my cat is here, so... Just a little uh, eye candy for you guys. She doesn't seem like she wants to be on camera right now, but um, she's real cute, so I had to show you guys my cat. Um, so anyway, moving on here, drop in bidding wars. That is right. This is a subject that if you watched the last couple episodes, uh, the in-person episodes, or in studio rather, we've talked about this a couple times. The market, uh, the market is shifting a little bit. So actually, this this percentage changes quite drastic. So uh, specifically talking about bidding wars, or uh, as any real estate agent will tell you, they try to avoid the term bidding wars because it implies some sort of 
hostile situation. Uh, more often than not, you'll hear uh, real estate agents refer to a bidding war as a multiple offer situation, which they're the same thing. Bidding wars is just like the dramatized version of it. I don't know. So in May, this uh, these statistics are specifically for the state of Florida. Fifty-four per excuse me, fifty-four point two percent of transactions actually had uh, these bidding wars. In June, that number ticked up a little bit to fifty-eight point eight percent. Now in July, that number woo plummeted by around half to twenty-eight point nine percent. So as we can see, those bidding wars, multiple offer situations are becoming less frequent. So what does that mean for you as the agent and or the consumer? Well, if you're looking to buy a home, the assumption there is that uh, it is gonna be getting a little bit easier for you on the buy side. Competition, if that's the right word to use, is going down a bit as you can tell by the statistic. Therefore, uh, it's probably less likely that you will have to be offering you know, insane amounts above whatever the list price for the home was. Uh, therefore, you're dropping less cash over time and up front. Definitely doesn't hurt. Now, what does that mean for the selling side or the list side? Well, uh, the big picture here is that list agents are probably going to be having to come to the negotiation table more often than not, given that there's less competition, less people uh, looking to actually buy this home. Um, so you're probably going to have to maybe concede in some situations to the buy side uh, to get that home sold. So while demand is still high, competition is perhaps a little bit lower. So there are some new skills to learn there if you are, as they say, a COVID era real estate agent, meaning you got licensed and you started your career in the COVID era and you're so used to the seller's market. Um, you might have to pick up a few new skills along the way there, but if you have a great team, that should be relatively easy for you. So moving on here a little bit, uh, what are buyers looking for in a home in 2022? It's a question on everyone's minds, certainly my own. Um, not really, but I'm going to give you the information anyway. So 2020, excuse me, 2022 buyers are looking for a couple different things uh, just based on trend shifts. Um, obviously, COVID had a big impact on what people are looking for. Excuse me. So specifically, 2022 buyers are looking for bigger homes. Uh, if you're going to be spending a lot more time in your home, I'm sure you can imagine why you would want a bigger home, especially if you have family, you have pets, you have a significant other, you have roommates even, whatever it might be. A bigger home definitely helps. I know for me, I like having my separate spaces in the home where I can do different things. Home office, you can record a, a podcast. Living room, you can watch Westworld, whatever it is. Um, so a bigger home certainly doesn't hurt in that regard. And I do apologize for my congestion. Uh, they are looking for suburban locations, whether that's for the, uh, the uh, picturesque American dream side of things, or if that's just for um, proximity to things like shopping, restaurants, schools. Um, it doesn't hurt to be closer to those things. Uh, they're also looking for outdoor amenities. A lot of people, including myself, started like a fitness journey, whatever you want to call it, uh, during the COVID era. Um, or are just trying to get out of their homes a little bit more if they're stuck inside working all day. So you're looking for outdoor amenities, things like dog parks, bike lanes, all that sort of stuff. Um, even see some of those uh, areas or neighborhoods rather with the outdoor exercise stations, things like that people have a renewed interest in. So keep that in mind if you are a real estate agent. 
talking about the house specifically, we were talking about people wanting larger homes. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, people do tend to have a preference, it seems, according to the statistics, for at least four bedrooms, which is significant. Um, that's about 46% of people are looking for that. And at least three bathrooms, about, excuse me, about 34% people are looking for that. So like I said, the average size of the home that people are looking for is going up. Uh, might be a little bit tougher to find unless you're sort of looking at new construction and things like that. So real estate agents, keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. So when surveyed, um, in a second here, I'm going to talk about two specific generations, if you will. But when surveyed, all generations considered these features to be important in their home. So number one is a laundry room, which I totally understand. Um, you want a separate room to straight up do your laundry. Um, if you've lived in a college dorm or an apartment before where you had uh, communal laundry spaces, you'll understand why this space is so sacred. Um, so a lot of people are looking for that. Exterior lighting. I'm not say I'm not going to say that I can completely justify or understand this one, but apparently that is a really important feature to people. I would imagine it has something to do with appearance of the home, safety of the home, that sort of thing. Um, nonetheless, that's something people are looking for. Ceiling fans, that's a big one. Uh, in this office, I actually don't have a ceiling fan, which is kind of inconvenient because it does get hot, get hot. We are in Florida, so I do have to buy little fans, things like that. It's an additional expense that people just don't want. Um, plus ceiling fans, you know, they look nice. Um, let's see, patios, talking about outdoor spaces. Who doesn't love a good patio? You can sit out there, barbecue, you can get some work done if you want, you can hang out with your pets, your friends. It's an entertaining space, so on and so forth. It's a lot you can do with a good patio, um, so people are looking for those en masse. Um, and last on the list of things that all generations are looking for, which is my personal favorite, walk-in pantries. I love to cook. A lot of people love to cook. Um, talking about the fitness journey that was started during COVID, I started a cooking journey during COVID, so I learned a lot of new skills. Um, obviously, having to cook at home a lot more for safety reasons, that sort of thing. Excuse me, once again. Um, so walk-in pantry is awesome because you can store a lot of stuff in there, uh, and it just kind of looks cool in general. So people are definitely looking for that. Um, so we were talking about all generations for that list. Let's talk about specifically Millennials and Generation X because they are looking for some specific things themselves. So Millennials and Generation X are specifically looking for the following features. Exercise rooms. Um, I'm not sure exactly how you would find a home with specifically that unless it's a very high price point home. I've seen a lot of people use their extra bedrooms as exercise rooms. I've seen people use half of their living rooms for exercise rooms. I've seen people use their garage um, for exercise rooms, which I think is awesome. Um, so I'm sure that that's something that you can accommodate, especially if it's a home with, like I said, multiple bedrooms or bonus rooms or whatever it might be. But that is something that these generations are looking for. Home offices, obviously. I don't need to tell you why that is. Um, people are working. People want a space to have dedicated to that work uh, so it doesn't feel like you're using the rest of your home for work, which is just kind of sad. I've done it myself. And if you're getting work done in your bedroom or your living room, you will associate that space with work. People just don't like that. Plus, you just need a little quiet space if, like I said earlier, you do have family, pets, etc. Even though we saw my cat come in here. Anyway, that's all right. Um, another one, if we were talking about those outdoor amenities earlier, 
Uh, millennials and Generation X are looking for bike lanes in their communities, dedicated bike lanes, not sidewalks, not the regular street. They want dedicated bike lanes. So once again, talking about that fitness journey, a lot of people are getting out there on their bikes, trying to enjoy their communities. And a bike lane is an essential safety feature if you are someone that is hitting the streets in their bikes. So keep that in mind, agents. Um, and the very last thing that I that I saw in the article that I thought was kind of interesting, might be a little bit more difficult to pin down for your buyers, um, is something that I sort of succinctly summed up in the two words, timeless design. They go into more detail in the article on floridarealtors.org, but essentially, uh, what they're saying is that millennials and generation x are looking for that timeless design something that appeals to multiple generations so either the family or the home rather can be lived in by multiple generations or it can be something that they can pass on in the future without having to worry about remodeling all those exterior features paint you can't remodel the entire house architecture itself obviously um, so they are looking for that timeless design and the reason i use that phrase is because i was going for a walk recently uh, with my girlfriend and we were looking at the homes in our neighborhood and we live in an older neighborhood. So she was saying, you know, why didn't these home builders um, design some of these homes to be timeless, so to speak? Um, so that was the word that she used. And I thought that was interesting because I'm sure at the time, a lot of these houses were built in the 60s, 70s. They did probably think, yeah, these homes are going to look awesome and new and beautiful forever. Maybe they didn't, but that's what I just surmised um, when in fact they do look quite old. So uh, that is something that, like I said, millennials <clears throat> and Generation X are looking for, something to keep in mind. That might be something that you could more easily find in a new construction or builder community. Uh, so try and keep those good relationships with your local builders going, my friends. I just have two more articles to cover here, guys, before we wrap it up. Um, this one is something that I personally found interesting as I am a renter. And this one is advice for renters who are priced out of home buying, which um, you've probably heard me talk about ad infinitum ad nauseum on this show. Like I said, I am a renter. It's not my time to buy right now. But of course, I'm trying to stay abreast of the news and advice for people who are in my situation. So this is something that you could pass on to your buyers, friends, or if you yourself are in my situation, this could be helpful. So uh, there's a long list of advice that they give. I picked out four here that I thought were specifically important or particularly important. Uh, the first of being, and this is probably pretty obvious to you, strengthen your finances. Uh, in short there, what that means is set aside money. They give some more specific advice about calculating what your desired mortgage payment will be and setting aside that di uh, desired amount each month if you can, or at least a portion of that. That way you can be prepared when it does come time to actually buy. If you can't, excuse me, um, set aside that amount of money quite yet, at least start putting aside money for that down payment and upfront expenses so you are prepared when it does come time to buy. Uh, the next thing that is important is to pay down your debt. Uh, what this will do, obviously, is improve your credit score, which is huge, help you get a better loan, and it'll actually improve your debt-to-income ratio. So if you're reducing your debt, um, and your income either stays the same or goes up, your debt-to-income ratio will improve. This is a big thing that lenders look at when they are approving you for a loan, so keep that in mind. Uh, next, this is something that all the realtors out there will definitely co-sign. Avoid optional big expenses. Keyword optional, because we all have those things that come up that you just can't avoid, whether it's you know a medical bill 
or um, something goes wrong with your home or whatever it might be, um, there are some things that you might actually have to pay for, but you want to avoid those optional ones. Those things might be things like vacations. I know we all love to vacation, but perhaps now isn't the best time to spend a couple grand on a big extravagant vacation if you're looking for a home, uh, if you're looking to buy a home in the short or medium term. Uh, cars, if your old car, and this is something I can relate to, if your old car is still kicking, still doing fine, hasn't broken down yet on you, um, you don't necessarily need a new car. Um, even though it might look shiny and new and you might think, wow, I would love a new car. That is a huge expense. Um, most likely you're not paying for that in cash. Therefore, you're adding another bill. You're adding a larger sum to that debt to income ratio that we just talked about. Um, there are so many memes out there of that realtors share of, you know, you know, we were about to go to the closing table, but my client just bought a new car um, because as they know, and as you should know, that can absolutely tank your uh, loan approval, your mortgage approval. And actually in a future episode, we are gonna have somebody, uh, I'm not gonna spoil it, but we will have someone from a lending company on to talk more about these sorts of things. So if you're interested in that, Join us next week or the week following, not sure which one it will be, but we will go into more detail on those subjects. And the last piece of advice, which I personally think is the most important for those renters who are priced out of home buying, yet are looking to buy in the near term, uh, keep in touch with your agent and your lender. If you don't have an agent or a lender, do your research, put your feelers out, do a Google search, ask some friends, ask some family who they recommend. But if you do have an agent or a lender, keep in touch with them because as I know from doing this show, as you know from watching this show, they are the best resource. They stay up to date the most and the best on these sorts of things, on trends, um, on data, on new bills, whatever it might be. They'll get, they're, bleh, they are going to be the best resource for you when it comes to advice, tips and tricks and the like. Uh, if you're looking to buy a home. So that would be probably the most important takeaway there. And one more article for you guys, last but certainly not least, um, a little tidbit that I found for your FHA buyers, or if you are an FHA buyer yourself, sorry, I think I heard a cat there. Um, the Federal Housing Administration is going to ignore COVID era employment lapses um, on their loan applications. So Basically, the Federal Housing Administration announced new allowances for lenders when they're qualifying borrowers for FHA loans. Um, and I pulled a quote directly from the article for you here. So here's the quote. The pandemic affected the livelihoods of tens of millions of workers in this country, particularly workers of color and those at the lower end of the wage scale. Limiting these families' homeownership opportunities because of the unavoidable impacts of an unprecedented global health crisis when they are otherwise well qualified for a mortgage is unnecessary and contrary to this administration's goals and FHA's mission. And that is from FHA Commissioner Julia Gordon. Um, so basically, they are just trying to help people out, help people get approved for homeownership, um, even if they were impacted by the pandemic, if their income was impacted, if their uh, employment was impacted. So um, they boil this down to COVID-related economic events as the qualifiers. Um, what are COVID-related economic events, you might ask? Well, I have the list for you here. Uh, three things. Number one, temporary loss of employment. Number two, reduction of income. 
or number three, reduction of hours worked. So those are the specific things that might uh, qualify a buyer for, um, or not qualify for, but allow a buyer to fall under these guidelines. Um, and a, a side note here, lenders can and most likely have begun uh, including this in their, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Approval process. I'm not a lender. I'm not sure the exact term for it, um, but they have begun doing this as soon as the FHA made the announcement. So something to keep in mind, whether you are an agent or a buyer and you do have a lapse of employment or other, as I said, COVID-related economic event, uh, there is still hope for you, thanks to the FHA. So that's all I actually had for you guys today. Those are the, I believe, seven articles um, that I did some research on. Hopefully I will be back in the studio next week with a guest for you guys, um, and we can talk about these things in some more detail. For the time being, as always with these solo episodes, I thank you for listening. Um, you can find us at, on all social media at The Real Estate Playbook. Um, you can visit the website, therealestateplaybook.com. If you're listening, thank you. Um, give us a like on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever it is that you are listening on. If you're watching, hello. You got to see my cat today, and that's awesome if you ask me. Uh, if you're on YouTube, that means subscribe, like, drop a comment, follow, not follow, subscribe. Um, that's pretty much the rigmarole there. Uh, I think that's all I had for you guys this week. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next week. Take care. Uh -huh.